also have a lamp sitting in my laundry because um, our overhead light in the closet hasn't worked in months and we just keep on not bringing it up to the uh, landlord. I, the, th- the thing about that though is that like it works sometimes, which means it's not the light bulb, it's the wiring. And I keep mm-hmm. on thinking, mm, you know, that could be a fire and then just never. Exactly. That's worse. <laughs> it's so much worse. If it's a bulb that's do... out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're like, you have every symptom that something might start smoking one day. And if it does, you're like, well, I only had nine months to react, guys. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, it's probably been about that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like. Yeah. That thing could have a baby. You know, there could be another whole another baby of bad wiring behind it. Bad wiring and smoke and fire and everything. Mm-hmm. As a Mexican, that's how I measure time. It's all in babies. <laughs> and as a Mormon, you know, like as a, yeah. someone who was raised Mexican Mormon, my calendar should be separated by nine months. It really should just be separated by the next time my sister's eligible for birth again. I mean, the thing is, is that like, that's like the basic principle of math, right? It's that the only reason that we count up to 10 is because we use a base of 10. So yeah, you're isn't just using just a base digits? of zero. Yeah. So it's like, like a, a binary math, right? Binary for, that's mostly used for computers. That's just a base of two. It's zero and one. So mm-hmm. it's two numbers. Whereas we're at a base of 10 because it's zero through nine. Then why do we choose 12? For clocks? For months. For months. Oh, so a lot of that, if I'm remembering correctly, a lot of like the, the 12 base in time is because of um, who essentially like developed the systems of time. Um, I think it was the Sumerians that used like a base 60. So there were like all of these different cultures that have different base units of math and um, whoever like developed our system of counting clocks essentially was just like, nah, nah, it's going to be 12. Like we use much 12, like so. when you met me, like how I walked into a place and was like, this is set up stupid. Let's set this <laughs> up so people can use this easily. Mm-hmm. I would have done the same exact thing if I had walked in on people inventing the calendar. I would have been like, you guys are so dumb. See, but that's the thing. Back then, back then, that was just how things were. That was like the numbers that they use. Yeah, but also, like, it's not easier or better for anybody. I would (laughs) have, right? If somebody was like, okay, so this month is 28, but this one's 31, I'd be like, choose one. Just go to the middle. Why (laughs) would we make all the months different amounts of time? Like, all the months should be the same amount of time. It's if we're going to measure units, let's (laughs) make the unit the same. That doesn't make sense to me. No, that's fair. That's like one of those very fair. I think it had something to do with like a Roman because there were two months that just didn't that were just like created to basically celebrate like Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar. Dude, exactly. And then when they're just like, oh, here's a leap year. I'm like, this is why your system sucks. You're acknowledging (laughs) your system sucks. What are we going to make Thursdays an hour longer than the rest just to catch things up? This is so dumb. Yeah, no, I I knew a guy born on a leap year, um, like like the leap year. 29th and he kept on talking he's like 30 years old and he kept on talking about how he's actually 11 and it's like you know what dude you act like you're 11 sometimes so that makes sense yeah for sure and like that's totally cute but also let's be realistic in adults which you're not yet because you're 11 
Like, let's be realistic. You're, you're, you're an 11 year old, but like only in the sense that you're 30 years old and still a virgin, you know, like it's, was he still a virgin? He was still a virgin. <laughs> that sucks, dude. Like I actually, I had a friend that got all the way to his forties with his virginity. That sounds just that at that point, that sounds like a difficult thing to achieve. Yeah, I know. I know. Like, we I, all felt, I was a late point. bloomer. I'm not going to ask your age. But I'm going to guess it was before your 40s. It was before my 40s. Yeah, that's fair. But it was like at that point, because like there's so much tension in him, like his interactions with women were also very tense. And it wasn't like it was like he number one, he wasn't trying to get laid because if you're at that point and at that level of tension, it's just a matter of frustration that you're carrying around. Yeah. Yeah. For this guy, he wasn't unpersonable. See, but that's the thing, right? Like, the guy that I'm talking, that he never was like, he's like a hot dude. Oh, I think honestly, the thing that like really, what it what what it boiled down to was that he's like a low key incel, and um, like extremely religious. So it was just like these two things were like I think he got made fun of in high school or something, and that made him insecure. But also, like I've seen him take so many like walking past a window and just like stopping and staring at himself or I'm like I-, I know that you know you're hot like we all know you know you're hot stop blaming other people for not getting laid it's just your personality like <laughs> <laughs> yeah there has to be a point I think where we all do that where we all go hey in fact I have a very specific friend that I called and I'm like hey is it me you know, <laughs> like I was like <laughs> Is it my personality? Like, what makes me the most undateable? And it's not like I even feel like I'm crazy undateable, but it was just like, what do I do to stand in my own way? Yeah, 100%. And she was really just like, oh, oh, for sure. It's like these couple things you do are just like, why are you doing that? That just really, really gives yourself an uphill battle sometimes. And I was like, yeah, copy, got it, done. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where there are just some people that never want to accept that like, yeah, we're all shitty sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. there are things about myself that if it were anyone else, I mean, I barely tolerate it when it's myself. Like, some, there are mm-hmm. some days where I'm just like, I need to shut the fuck up and go to sleep because I'm annoying myself. Like, oh, I can yeah, imagine yeah. being my girlfriend. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not many of us could. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're always just like, bless you every time you see her. <laughs> Truly. What an angel. Yeah, but also I do see you make compromises. And so it's not like there's not like something about dating you. You know, like it's not like it's a complete uphill battle. I can see where she gets some enjoyment out of it. Yeah, no, there's there's something good about me somewhere. Whatever whatever she found, I mean she's sticking around. <laughs> she didn't mean to. So like <laughs> it's a good thing this closet soundproof you're in. Because if she was overhearing this, she'd listen <laughs> she to this. She might podcast. get second thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's like, you know what, make me the next guest. Donovan, stick around. We're gonna teach you a thing or two. Oh my god, I would pay to see that. To be honest, we'll call this next episode "Putting Up with Donovan's Bullshit," Chapter One: <laughs> The Dishes. <laughs> one, chapter One: He just doesn't stop talking. Sometimes, and it really, I can't. Yeah, when's my turn to keep talking, Donovan? When's my turn? <laughs> Wait. So I have questions for you, very specifically. Because there's something about you that's very mm-hmm. specific um, that I've 
really don't have much interaction with or knowledge of. And it is really the the blue collar aspect of acting. Everyone talks about acting. Ooh. Like they all talk about the artistry of it and they get caught up in the romanticism of it. Mm-hmm. But there is a very blue collar, like I'm going to work aspect of it too, that people don't talk about it. Or when they do, it comes out this false modesty. But some of it's just real ass. That's how it is to work. Yeah. And you come from an acting family, like your yes. whole family acts. So I, did, I had no idea that this was what you're going to ask me, but I'm very excited that this is the thread mm-hmm. uh, for, this, for this episode because I love the fact that there are so many people out there that just do not understand that actors are also like literally it's their job and they're contractors. Like, they're it's exactly like it's, it's one of those things where people don't understand that like, yes, they're celebrities and they're so high up there and they make all of this money. And then there's some of literally them. everyone else. And yeah, exactly. And like, everyone that, makes money as an actor that isn't making that crazy amount every job could be your last and every actor is aware of that especially when you're not making those millions of dollars because like all right so background as aaron said i am um i come from an acting family my dad and my mom were both actors when i was growing up um and like long before that obviously uh my mom ended up more or less leaving the professional side of acting like the day-to-day like auditioning side of acting basically to take care of my sister had a lot of medical problems and then I was around and I'm just a fucking nightmare especially when I was like two so she she had too much to do uh to you're a nightmare now I'm I'm a nightmare now imagine (laughs) when I was two um and then my dad like had to in order to pay for all of the bills and the medical stuff like he basically wasn't able to take the risk of getting jobs in New York City where we were growing up and like take the risk of competing against every single person going for like law and order and movies and law and order because that's really the thing that filmed so many times (laughs) when I was growing up. Uh, Wait, how many times was your dad on law and order? Dude, like six or seven times. Like he was on law and order a lot. (laughs) And And this was also with him going out of town and mostly like most of my childhood my dad was working out of town like I basically had a regional salesman for a father because I barely saw the guy um when he was working mm-hmm. like most of the time he was out of state doing what he could to take care of his kids and I don't think people realize like that's a lot of actors that's like I would say the majority of actors in this country especially if they're in any way like in the theater scene they're traveling they're not spending as much time with their family as they want to like well if you're not one of those actors that is a brand you know like Mm -hmm. some actors become a corporation and those are the ones we know and if you're not one of those you seem to have to drop everything in your life to incorporate yourself in some minor way to one of those things exactly and and it's this fascinating dichotomy of people here oh you're an actor and they assume one of two things about you either you are a waitress or a waiter Uh or you are a millionaire and there's so many there's so few people that understand like there's one other thing you're missing there is you're missing another one though oh your parents must be rich and let you just do what you please (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah Um, that's the exact thing it's so frustrating growing up in it and knowing that like nobody understands that there is this whole world of blue collar well yeah but as an artist family the first question is was it something you wanted to do or is it something your parents are like 
Oh no, we're an acting family. Like we're all part of the circus. Aaron, they like fought <laughs> tooth and nail <laughs> to keep both me and my sister out of the industry. So I, I mean, failed. They, they both know failed. How, they both failed so hard, but they tried. They tried their damnedest. Um, my sister and I both started acting. I think I started it too. She started it four, and it was literally because it was just like, hey. Um, we're gonna do do this whether you like it or not how do you start it two and four because okay wait wait just a little background so donovan and i work together and he's uh 26 27 how old 26 yeah 26 and i we're all wearing masks now so it's not like i get like these (laughs) like hints of like age and i'm like oh he works with the maturity of somebody my age or a little bit older and it was like oh no he's just been working for 24 years since he was two so he's used to a work dichotomy and so how is it at two that you are able to be like oh yes i want to audition for this part i think i fit this so so basically what went down based on what my parents have told me because obviously i don't remember being two mm-hmm. um well i was mad that my sister and my dad were getting to audition and my mom was getting to audition and sure okay, okay. I want to do this too. Mm-hmm. And so my mom said, sure. And our agent and manager at the time um, that like was representing my sister was like, yeah, of course we'll put him out too. Like if he really wants to do it, like we'll, we'll let him do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like I didn't do any of the arranging. Of <laughs> getting yeah, exactly. Work, but like I, I've been auditioning since I was, since I was a wee wee thing. And uh you're like, I can sell baby food too. Look, mm-mm, good. See, now put me exactly. in front of a camera. My, my first like major, the first thing that I remember doing was a Colgate commercial where I worked with like four other like four-year-old boys who um, all had a crush on our preschool teacher for the commercial. And mm-hmm. we were just gushing over her beautiful pearly white teeth. Um, Is this the mother of pearl commercial? maybe um all all i remember from that is that i met like four kids and we all actually had a crush on the actress who played the teacher because she did have a wonderful smile she was very Uh sweet um and i hated one of the kids and for like (laughs) my entire acting career we were always like intersecting at this weird spot where he was like he was like always very, very short. Um, and I was always the very, very tall kid. And mm-hmm. so we went out for a lot of things when we were in the same age bracket, specifically commercials. And then that like disparity just kept getting wider and wider, but we were both on such extremes of mm-hmm. the height bracket that like it got to the point where we were both playing characters. So we kept on looping around and meeting up with each other. And that kid sucked forever and always like he never grew out of being just a little shit and that's and that kid that's, is me and that kid is you Aaron yes you're right <laughs> I finally built up the courage to tell you hey I just wanted that mother of pearl line you know like I just knew I could nail it <laughs> do you know what commercial I'm talking about I mean I might let me let me I don't know I don't think I do I'll just tell you no it's a crest commercial where there's a bunch of kids in the class and there's a teacher and she's like what color is this? And points at like a thing and they go blue and she points at like her sweater and it's red because what color is this? And they go red 
and then she smiles oh, yeah, that was all it. big. That was me. Was it? That was you? I'm pretty sure it was. That teacher yeah, and then, familiar to me. And yeah, and then the, she points to her teeth and goes, and what color is my smile? And the kids are like, uh, and then one kid goes, mother of pearl, you know, like, because they can't say that it's white. And so it was for whitening toothpaste. Okay, so I am wrong. That is not me. Those kids are younger than I was, <laughs> unfortunately. Okay. But she looks a lot like, it's basically the same looking person. Well, yeah, well, commercials kind of go in and out like that. So like, so at that point, as a child actor, I'm amazed at child actors, by the way, in general, yeah. because I don't know how you can teach a kid to act and then behave on set and then do what you need when the camera goes. Yeah. Like, it to me, it's a child actor and the dog that has to hit the marks. It's like <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> the same thing. I don't disagree. Which, if you watch the first couple seasons of Full House, it's pretty much just how they treated Michelle. Where it was like, hey, you're going to go stand on that little X and you're going to mm-hmm. put your thumb up and just try to say you got it, dude. Whether you do it or not, whatever, we'll put it in, and then we make an awe noise on the sound effects, and you get you get out of here. Hundred percent. So, That's like, accurate. So at that point, your parents know like real screen acting, mm-hmm. but they're like, "How do I get the four year old to hit the marks and do the thing?" Is that on them, or did you already have like an acting coach at Ford? Oh God, no! Like, I don't think I had an acting coach. I had like an acting teacher that I started going to like like classes when I was like 16 or 17 right Mm -hmm. but until then like it was really just the directors and like straight up my mom like if especially at that super young age it's always like the parent being like come here sweetie like come on come on oh stop stop and it's it's just like that's why like they say like never work with kids because it's awful and nine times out of ten the person that's making your life way harder isn't even a kid most of the time it is the parent like we just got lucky in the sense that like my mom is a professional in the industry and was like for 20 years by the time that I was seriously working so like she knew how to not be that mom but Mm. like but she also kind of had to take that role sometimes oh she had to I mean she had to take on the like stage she had to be like the manager of the kid. Yeah. But they're in the sense of like helping the kid hit the mark and like, remember their lines and stuff. Like that's something that every mom has to do. Yeah, for sure. Especially under the age of five. Like you just kind of have to expect the mom to be helpful. But. So because you had this job that gave you this regiment where you had to learn how to be professional at an extremely young age where people don't even teach their kids how to not grab groceries off the shelves. (laughs) Um, were you a better behaved child because of this or just a different kind of lash out? Um, so I am, there's this infinite infamous story uh, that my mom tells every opportunity she gets. And I'm going to, I'm going to repeat it here. Oh, you know her. what? Let's call her and have her. Yeah. Let's go. Let's give her a ring. Um, no, essentially my mom was in a parent teacher conference when I was like four or five years old. And they said, Oh my God, uh, Ian, I went by Ian at the time. Ian is such a well-behaved student. He's just always so helpful and he's always like answering questions and he's always paying attention. And she went, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Why would, like, that's not my son. My son is all mm-hmm. over the place. He's a nightmare. And she like said this to my teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when she got home from the parent teacher conference, she comes up to me and it's like, hey, um, 
so my your teachers tell me that you've you're like a super like well behaved like you don't cause any problems you don't yell you don't like make a mess or anything like why do you do that when you get home and I legit looked at my mom and said well mama I'm, I'm good so much all day I gotta be bad sometimes yeah for sure <laughs> and yeah I mean essentially I took it out of my parents <laughs> I took it out of my home life um but otherwise I was I was a very like buttoned up kid nice did you ever have like a midlife crisis when you were a kid where oh, you're like you know what this isn't working out I could take life in another direction <laughs> people don't understand what I'm going for you know like but you're like seven and they're like calm down I mean basically after Spanglish I during Spanglish, I grew like five or six inches. Like over mm-hmm. the course of the filming of that one movie, I grew just this ridiculous. Amount. Wait, so if we, go, if we go back and watch that movie, are you different heights throughout the different scenes? No, no, no. I'm not different heights throughout the different scenes. They started putting me in water <laughs> in half of the scenes. I'm not joking, Aaron. There is a, you can watch the movie and you can know chronologically when they're filming, when they film certain scenes, because I go from being out and about and standing with everyone else to in a pool in the ocean, like, and that's it. Because I grew so dramatically at one point, like I started when I was eight and it filming went through when I was nine. Um, and literally like on my ninth birthday, I st- just out of nowhere stopped fitting in my clothes. And yeah. they were like, what are we going to do? This kid's so tall. And Jim Brooks literally said, Hey, let's just throw him in the water. <laughs> like <if you're> gonna... <laughs> he's in the water. It's like the final scene, like you're like walking in the water with your family, but they're on the beach just waving. <laughs> like, hey. <Pretty> much. <laughs> I spent like five hours just chilling in the ocean one day. And the the stunt guys were so impressed that they gave me like a like an honorary member hat because they were like, this kid like hung out in the cold water. For five straight hours good for him like here you go that's intense i wanted to ask you something about spanglish yes. um again like this is not like a oh you know i was doing my art but like when you book a major movie like that how much time do you actually get to rehearse before you like are on set because you know like i i work on set but i don't see any of the rehearsal stuff and so you're just like i don't know how much time these actors get to actually prep or if it's all solo and then they bring it in I mean, in my experience, I know that there are movies that do rehearsals, but like most of the time you don't do rehearsals until day of, in my experience. I, I know that like, like there are table reads and stuff that you do like a few times and some, and like you can call other actors and see if they'll like rehearse with you. But yeah, formal, I mean, making movies. That's so the part that's crazy as a kid. Yeah. I feel I thought it was like, oh, you're like with Jack Nicholson for three months and really working on The Shining. And then like as I like started working in it, you're like, oh, some of these people only get to meet Jack for the two days they film and they have to be completely prepared by the time they get there. And then you're like, how do people do like terms of endearment? You know, like where you really have to dig somewhere deep and like. But then like the next scene, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to go from this one where you're dying in the bed. And the next one, you're going to be holding the kid and spinning him around and happy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's, that's just acting. You know, it's just like, that's, that's the problem with screen acting is that it's, I think it's so, it's a different kind of difficult. Like, obviously when you're on stage, you have to remember every single thing, but like, the emotional um, 
Yeah, but you also get retakes because you get to go back and do it again the next night. Yeah, but you don't get to do a retake live. And that's the thing where it's like you get multiple opportunities, but like the person that saw you the night that you fucked up is only going to remember that you fucked up that night. Yeah. Whereas like when it's screen acting, like you just, oh, fuck, I fucked up. Sorry. Can we do it again? And especially when you're a kid, there is a lot of. I had a lot more stress about stage acting because I was just so concerned about messing up and ruining a performance. Whereas mm-hmm. when I was on screen, I always knew that I could do it over. The only hard part, especially when it's like a serious, serious role is like bookmarking the emotions and like remembering where you are in the story. I think that there's the same amount of prep that goes into reading a script, uh, a screenplay as there is going into like reading a stage play. See, that's crazy to me. And it's also crazy to me, like, sitcom-wise, it's every week they're filming a new, completely different thing. And you're almost just like, what's the point of even... You don't even get a chance to be a fan of the, your own show that you're on because it's so busy to work on it that you probably don't even get to remember parts of it. Like, when they're like, can you believe Matt Perry doesn't remember the, this whole season? You're like, yeah. Yeah, I bet he doesn't. If you were to ask me every line I said at work three years ago, I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you. Right. Because it's a job. And that's something that people, like, I still have had people, especially like, you know, my family members that I never see that are like, oh, do you remember? Oh, you were in that episode of 30 Rock. Do you remember your lines in 30 Rock? And I'm like, no, I don't remember my lines in 30 Rock. Like, (laughs) fuck off. Do you remember what you taught in your like history class five years ago? Like, that's the thing a lot of people don't remember. It's just, it's still a job. And it's a job that most, you, most people love doing. Yeah. Um, That's the next weird part. It is the only job I can think of where if they just 100% stopped paying people to do it, that people would still do it in the exact same amount. Yeah. Which is not fair, mm-hmm. but I get it. I mean, like, that's basically what stand-up comedy is, right? Like, you do it because you love it. My ideal world is, do you, do you not, do you, do you not do stand-up comedy because you love it or? <laughs> um, what that face? Okay. <laughs> okay. And no, I'll tell you exactly what that face is, is that everybody talks about how much they love it. And then you can go in the audience of a show. that's not the, all the professionals where you mixed in the amateurs and the professionals and tell me which ones love it and don't, because they'll all tell you yes, but you will be like, they don't they don't they're afraid of it they don't know why they're here that person likes it that person definitely doesn't so it's like i understand what you're getting at but i someone who watches it firsthand is like oh yeah no the majority of people i see that do it especially those that talk about their love of it are trying to convince themselves they love it i don't believe the majority of people actually do love it see that's that makes sense because it's also to a certain extent just a job all at a certain point yeah oh yeah no that's true can you find a way to still love it and make it just the job i don't know that's my biggest nightmare is that i get it and then go oh no this is just the job no i have a friend i'm not gonna say his name because of what i'm about to say Mm -hmm. who uh got famous on tv and all of a sudden is now selling out stand-up theaters and before that they were just doing bar shows with me and stuff you know like Mm -hmm. and it was like it all happened in like a three-month period and yeah. so I don't see them for the three month period while they go and get completely famous. And then they come back and I run into them and like, Oh my God, I haven't seen you forever. And then the guy's like, yeah, now I can finally do what I really want to do. And you're like, what? And he goes, Oh, I absolutely hate this, but it's what I wanted 
to get the attention so I can start acting. And then I was like, oh, what? yeah. And then you're just like, this is like, oh, you're down a whole nother road of, of misery. This person yeah. does not like stand up. This person did it so they can get acting gigs. And now they're like doing this whole other thing. That's insane to me because stand up is such a hard route to fame. I understand. And I get that. Although it came very easy to this person and this person is extremely good at it, but you can also tell when they're doing it, even though they're crushing, you can see in their face, they're not enjoying. (laughs) I have brought that up to other people where you're like, if you watch this person's tonight show, they're completely crushing and they look like they could care less because they could. I mean, that's, that's the thing for me. It's like my ideal life I think would be like, if I got on like a major, like long-term show and I got to do that show and then spend my summers or my winters or whenever we were on hiatus, like doing a play in fucking Maine or Massachusetts or like wherever DC, just like spend my, my like off time doing like local theater. That's my ideal situation because like, that's, like you're supposed to enjoy what you do, especially when you're in the arts. Otherwise, it's just painful. It's That's just the whole a lot point, of... I think. I think yeah. the whole point of that kind of kind of success is that you get to now put the energy into the projects that you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Like Harry Potter going and doing plays on in London in between the Harry Potter movies is the point. Yeah. You know, Daniel like Radcliffe, like got it. Daniel Radcliffe got what being successful. I mean, it also ruined him for a while there, like as a child. But like he took once he kind of got his that all that sorted out, you know, like. And good for him. Um, that's really hard to recover. But like the the fact that he like went and did theater and like he's on Miracle Workers, which is a wonderful, amazing, like small little show where he gets to play every every season it's really truly just like a fun show that he gets to do with people that he clearly like enjoys and oh, i'm thoroughly impressed with his career after harry potter amazing. you're like oh i'm going to a movie where the guns are just bolted through my hands and now i have to go and live through it you're what like is, what is that oh you don't know about that movie <laughs> no idea oh it's a crazy movie that i can't believe someone even made it's one of those things you're like, this is completely original, but also stars Daniel Radcliffe. And you're like, good for him to find this kind of completely original script that has nothing to do with your legacy that you get to do completely and like knock it out of the park. I'll have to find the name of it. That's, that's also his whole shtick. Do you remember the movie where he played a corpse whose farts were magic? Yeah, dude. Yeah, I took like, a picture with that thing. corpse. <laughs> I, that, I saw that uh, prop, the prop of the corpse. Yeah. Back when we had Snapchat, and so I took a picture with it and like put filters on it and stuff. It was great. <laughs> there we have it Donovan Highland. Or um, if you go on his IMDb, he's listed under Ian Donovan Highland. And I haven't gone back yet, and I thought about it, and watching Spanglish just to watch how many times they put him in water. That sounds so funny. Like, now that I know that, I almost want to cut that out and, like, try to just find a bunch of clips of him in water. 
you know, like, and put that on the internet. Just like, what a weird, out of all the weird movie facts I love and know, that's up there. That is up there. Very creative. That's a very good DVD commentary choice. Yeah, Donovan and I uh, met during the pandemic. I got a job. He works at the same job, and we just, you know, great conversations every day. We also watch a lot of the same nerd shows. It's perfect. Love a good nerd. Love a good, charming nerd. Which Los Angeles is full of, for people that don't live in the city. It seems like everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's all the most attractive people move out to Los Angeles. But also the nerdiest people in the world move out to Los Angeles. If you think about the people that make the props... There's no way you're making replica props and then learning how to do it so well that another movie's like, I need you to make original props with the same level of things you're doing the replicas with without being a nerd. You know, like, it's just like so much. I feel like 90% of filmmaking is so nerdy. The only part that's not is the front of the camera during the take stuff. And that's only sometimes, you know, like, it's like, even when I was doing a lot of like working in a lot of advertisements, and there was a lot of just, okay, today they're going to do one of those throwing the food shots, you know, where it's like there's the sauce and the chicken nuggets go through it. I was privy to be able to watch some of those. The amount of tech that goes into that and the amount of, like, equipment that you need to be able to not, like, see, so, like, so it can just be a black background where everything's really well lit, but you don't notice that it's a black wall behind it because they are really controlling the lighting. So nerdy. So nerdy. Also very impressive. It's very impressive. The craziest lighting setups that I ever saw that no one has asked me. I know you guys are going to ask me this question. Is when they would do like rotating bottles for commercials. So like a Johnny Walker ad or whatever. You know, like they would do these rotating bottles and they would have to light it so it lights very well. But also it isn't just throwing light around as it rotates. And I know that it, like you guys are like, there's not like actual advertisements where there's this is a thing like this isn't a commercial. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's not a billboard in Vegas or something. You know, like they do have all these shots. That was like the most equipment I've ever seen used for anything. Like bigger than a full television cast. Just one bottle that's going to rotate needs to be well lit, but also needs to not throw the light around the room as it rotates with light on it. Incredible. Um. Yeah, thank you for guys going down that little nerd rabbit hole with me about lighting. I don't know why I got into a lighting mood. But you can check out Donovan's Instagram at the Hotter Highland. Although I don't think he's on there much, but you can check him out there. I mean, I always post little videos of him at work doing things like dancing with cheese and stuff. You know, the things we do with our Instagrams and our Snapchats and stuff. Um, Donovan was over Zoom. Despite the fact that I see him on a regular basis because I had COVID at the time. And so I had him zoom in and I did that during COVID. I had COVID when I did the the recording of that. And then I tested negative and went back to work. And then next week I have Johnny LaQuasto, which is my first in-person face-to-face podcast interview since I think episode eight. It's been like 90 episodes since I have had a person come over and sit down in my room and talk to me. And I did tell him, I was like, I got to figure out a better scenario because I can't invite a girl into my room. You know, like, hey, I should interview you next to the bed. You know, like that's as cool as Johnny is. And I've known Johnny forever. Great guy. That's not, that's not how you can interact with everybody. Johnny and I text all the time about wrestling. So we have a very 
personal relationship. If it's somebody that I just admire, like I've been asking people like that I admire, you don't go do that with people you admire. So we'll see what happens. I'll let you guys know. I think I've found a little office space where I can do some of the recordings. And I'm curious to see how many more in-person recordings. Because I'm going to give the option. You know, like, hey, do you want to do this over Zoom or do you want to do it face-to-face? Because I'm ready for both. Johnny LaQuasto is coming up next week. And we talk about our early fascinations with Eddie Murphy. We talk about uh, stand-up. And then we do talk about his time in WWE. He became a WWE color commentator that was let go of during the pandemic. And that's where we're at. You know, like the, they just started doing live shows again. And so they just started hiring some more of their tech and stage manager people again. Because with no live shows and it was just one, you know, like they pretty much set up a hard recording studio in Florida where they just filmed every episode. As opposed to before where they were just on tour all over the place. It changes the amount of career you need. But we talk about all that next week. So Johnny LaQuasto coming up. Great episode. Which, by the way, it was his birthday this weekend. If I had thought that through, I would have released it. I don't know. Like, No, I guess I didn't. Ah, there's not a good time. I could never have nailed it on his birthday. But, guys, thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. I guess I'll save the tags again later. Uh, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. I don't think I've gotten a rating or review in like two months. And I was like, oh, I should probably plug that again. I think I forget to plug that. And then, of course, you can follow me at Aaron and Marsh on everything. So please, thank you for listening and thank you for putting up with me. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong I find a place in this world or never belong I've got to be me I gotta be me What else can I be?